Hello, Two Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Uh, also, um, you didn't really name the turtle Shelly, did you? <laughs> Welcome one, welcome all to episode 151 of the Xbox Expansion Pass recorded on Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome the legendary Victor Lucas to the show to chat about this week's gaming news, including the Silent Hill and Resident Evil showcases, which gave horror fans plenty of cause for celebration. Meanwhile, the releases of Gotham Knights, A Plague Tale Requiem, and Modern Warfare's campaign have us all lamenting our backlogs. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are extended to my guest who agreed on short notice, I might add, uh, Mr. Victor Lucas. Victor, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And thank you for the words of kindness. And I have to start with an apology that uh, you you asked me to come on earlier and I didn't reply. And I feel terrible that I didn't reply because this is a real honor. And uh, thank you for having me here today, my friend. I'm ecstatic to have you. You came highly requested. Uh, so oh, many cool. people had reached out. Uh, a, lot, a lot of Adam Leonard, John Wall, uh, the guys at the Mega Dads, they're big fans. And, and I've been following Electric Playground for some time. I didn't grow up with Electric Playground. They introduced me later on, uh, oh, cool. which has been, yeah, it's been really cool to watch because I kind of came in during the renaissance of your career, kind of the, 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 the YouTube era. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah we've had to pivot quite a few times over the years it's uh and it's interesting because um i never know if people know what i do or who i am or what i've been doing or how you know there's just so many different c connection points now you know especially even when we were on television we had all of these different stations and networks and and uh um just different ways to serve up our material along the way. And, uh, it's a trip. And, you know, I just did some work with uh, Nintendo of Canada. They asked me to, um, kind of represent, uh, I guess a gaming dad <laughs> kind of uh, voice that, you know, mm -hmm. and I've partnered with Nintendo for many years, uh, in different capacity. They, they've been a longtime sponsor of electric playground in a variety of different ways, but it's a real honor to be asked. But one weird thing that we have just done is shot a, uh, a spot where we're talking to gamers that's airing before um, the movie screenings in Canada right now on Cineplex and Landmark screens. And so um, people are probably seeing me before Black Adam and going, hey, I remember that guy from whatever, you know, and it, it is weird. That's kind of be kind of cool, dis disconcerting, exciting, because you have reinvented yourself several times from the te television era through to now. Uh, yep. You know, sum all that up into one lesson. What have you learned from uh, adjusting and, and truly staying alive in a medium that uh, is pretty unforgiving? 
Well, I think the secret, and I I learned it actually in the 90s. I used to um, be a subscriber to Wired Magazine. And Wired Magazine, you know, the bread and butter, <laughs> remember magazines? But the, <laughs> their bread and butter was was uh, prognosticating and, and sort of giving us an idea of what the future uh, was going to have in store for us and media consumption. And um, they really believed in the idea that video on the internet was going to be a huge thing and, and sort of cross-media pollination was going to be a huge thing. So even as we were launching the TV show in 1997, we'd already done a couple of years as a website and had built up a, we're one of the longest running websites in the world in, in this gaming space, but we'd built up a really nice relationship with the, you know, numerous studios across the video game industry. We had been to the first E3 in 1995 and back again in 1996. And so we were really, you know, kind of like this test case to launch a TV show website, um, combo and put that out into the world. So people were already getting our content on the web. We even had video on the web back in 1995, if you can believe it. There were huge files for, you know, modems back in the day uh, for people to download. But right from the beginning, I was acutely aware that the only way to survive in media was to be in as many places as media allowed. And I think what television has really failed at is adapting to the new consumption model that people have. They basically opened the door for Netflix and lots of other streaming providers and YouTube and Twitch to uh, reverse engineer how TV is made and find a new way to serve the audience that was building on the internet. And TV kind of circled its wagons. A lot of broadcasters did. And you know, we saw that with Viacom, certainly had to deal with it with our partners at Rogers and basically across the board. Everybody was dealing with 1980s and 1990s kind of thinking around Internet video delivery and didn't really roll with it as people were d- descending on all of these services that were very inexpensive for getting any kind of content that they wanted to. And I wish that the you know, partners that we had in television kind of rolled with us as we were pushing on them. But uh, unfortunately, they were kind of locked to lucrative uh, licensing deals that had been in place for a long time and this sort of established warhorse industry where they had to kind of bring people to their networks as opposed to bring their content to where the people were. Mm-hmm. And we were asking them to come with us and do things like, you know, let us post our show, our TV show on YouTube before it aired on television. But of course, they weren't quite ready for that. And uh, and so I think that's affected a lot of production companies and I think that's affected a lot of broadcasters. And I think it's also really um, undercut the opportunity for shows to continue, but also fan bases of shows to continue with content that they would have liked, you know? And so what we've seen since, you know, YouTube and Twitch and all of these and Netflix and all of these other streaming services have kind of taken the forefront is a lot of revitalized shows, like great shows that kind of died because audiences were moving, but then they're brought back from Netflix or Amazon picks up something and then they bring it back. And, um, and then we've also seen the inverse of that where people try to make TV that looks like Twitch, like we just saw with G4. Nobody wants that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the secret, especially in information, and you can see this if you look at MSNBC or CNN or whatever, if, if, you're, if you are a supplier of information content, you need to be 
on every device and every screen possible. And you need to have a plan for that. And you need to be everywhere with that. Now, it, it takes some planning and some budget and some thinking, um, but that's the way that you do it. And um, I mean, you can look at kind of funny games and, and they're growing and fantastic team there and how smart and shrewd they are with, you know, being everywhere with this stuff. I, f- I think it would be for me personally, I think it, I would find it a little bit exhausting to be online all the time like those guys are, but they share the workload. It's not just one person over there, you know, well, that uh, but that's me- kind of the way to do it. Yeah, well, that I mean that makes me want to ask you very much. So when I pull up, you say being everywhere. I pulled up yep. just the YouTube channel for Electric Playground right now, and you've yep. got videos coming out in a pretty quick cadence. I mean, yes. four days ago, three days ago, two days ago, one day ago, eleven days ago, ten, thirteen. Like you're doing something almost every day, if not every day. It's my and job. I say, what's your schedule like? Like, are you tired? What's the, uh, the weight? Yes, especially now. Every year at this time, I I get very, I edge close to burnout. And by probably after I'm done, like the awards component, the sort of wrap up of the year, uh, the discussion of the best stuff of the year. And I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do yet for our Rocket and Reagan Awards. Um, but by then I'm just like, oh my God, I need to just relax for a little while and take a break for a minute. Um, cause it is, it is a lot at the end of the year. You know, I call it the game avalanche and it, it, you know, I'm bouncing from game to game and I'm staying up super late and I'm, I'm trying to get as far into these things as I possibly can. And, um, you know, finish as many games as I can and then come back with some, uh, you know, honest opinion that make that is as articulate as I can possibly be and edit it together. And I, um, I also endeavor to try to make the video stuff that I produce for YouTube look as close as I can make it to, uh, some of the TV stuff that people remember us for. So I work pretty hard on trying to, you know, find the right clips and put it all together and, and, uh, massage it and tune it and make it look as nice as I can and sound as nice as I can. Uh, and all of that takes a long time. And the other thing that we're doing now is we, uh, I, I'm getting into the short form video trend, like a lot of creators out there. So we launched a TikTok channel and, and, uh, that's been received quite well and been posting some clips and some shorter vids on Instagram and EP, on, uh, YouTube shorts. Um, and then I stream on Twitch and I try to make the Vix basement podcast when I can. I've got a couple of interviews that are coming up pretty soon. I'd like to, um, I, I definitely do need with all of these different things, because it's just me working on all this content, I definitely do need to kind of shoehorn the best schedule that I can. But a lot of my opportunities are reactive, like Disney or, or a, a, you know, a studio will reach out and say, we've got an interview with X filmmaker or these actors, um, and you've got an opportunity to see a movie early. Um, do you want to do that? And it's like, yeah, of course, this is a fantastic opportunity. And I know our audience is digging the movie stuff as well as the video game stuff. Um, and that happens for games as well. And sometimes people will, uh, you know, uh, invite me to an event or something. And, um, and so I have to be flexible as well and kind of roll with these opportunities and then, uh, do the best I can to, you know, keep people informed and entertained. I, I, um, I, but I, I love it too. You know, I wake up and this is the stuff that I'm digging into and, and reading about. And I feel honored that I get this opportunity and this platform to be able to talk about all this stuff. 
I want to get to the week's news, but I do have one small question that I don't mind asking you on the show. I've been yep. debating YouTube shorts uh, yep. as a way to just kind of quickly get content out that's not overproduced or whatnot. What do you think? Good move? Bad move? Like, what's your suggestions um, and thoughts? I think short form videos are, are like every platform is pushing them, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, every platform and, t and Twitter. And mm -hmm. so I think rather than be adverse to the idea of them, I think we are all watching them, whether we want to be or not, you know, mm -hmm. and I look at my own consumption, they're just being pushed at us. And there is something to be said when we have a preponderance like this, just massive deluge of choice out there mm -hmm. to watch a bite-sized piece of information and and um, and jump into that content quickly that way. Marissa Roberto has just been blowing me away with her creativity and her choices and her stories and, and the way that she puts her video content together. I'm just so freaking impressed. And I think there's something to be said with that. I do think in my particular case, YouTube has been a bit frustrating. I feel like YouTube has a... Um, they, and I've said this many times before, but they make so much money from negativity and from just kicking the balls type content out there, like idiocracy, kind of just dumb stuff. Mm -hmm. And they just don't curate enough, you know, and even with their best creators, they just don't work with the the best made content they work with the most popular content and a lot of the most popular content is either absurdly negative or there's a lot of misinformation or it's just awful stuff or it's it's um it, you know that's it's made without real thought or intention or it's just straight up copyright infringement and somebody just you know making some kind of stupid joke over it. And so that frustrates me because I've been with YouTube now for a long time and I wish that there was a lot more kind of involvement and engagement on, on shuttling people to the better made stuff, you know? And of course I'm not objective about that. Um, I have my own biases about that. Yeah. I and it's, so it's frustrating, especially when I just start a TikTok thing, you know, over the last few weeks and I've seen the numbers on the TikTok videos just and nobody knows who I am on TikTok. And what's interesting is that there's a lot of viewers that grew up with our shows, haven't seen me in a while because they they moved to TikTok. They're not on YouTube. They don't know what I'm doing on YouTube. And so I've had some videos kind of not, not blow up like crazy, but get into the thousands of views. And I'm not, you know, I can't, I don't have days of time to just focus on just one of these platforms, but it's been really illuminating. Like we've been on YouTube for a long time and I've had some pretty good success on some of the content for sure. Um, and I also hear from a lot of people, it's like, yeah, we, we, we were pushed to your channel and I, I can't believe that you're still making content. I can't believe that you're here. And it's like, yeah, it would, be, it would be nice for YouTube to understand that there's a 25 year career around electric playground and a lot of classic content and new content. It would be nice to get into the algorithm somehow for people to, uh, to push that material out there. And I know that there's a lot of ways to game that system. And, I, you know, I wish I had the time to basically be a student of YouTube and figure out the ways to get people to watch it. But then if I'm spending all my time trying to figure that out, I'm not making content. So that's the weird sort of uh, double-edged sword that I have. Yeah. So my 
my suggestion to you and to any content creators out there is to, um, yeah, make some short form stuff that basically works as a, and I, this is the way I'm thinking about it. It works as a conduit to you and your, your longer form material. It's, it's kind of like building little ads around your ethic, your work ethic and your, and your sensibility, you know? And I think that's what people have been finding. I don't know what the pickup rate is. I just don't have time to <laughs> like dig into the algorithm education, you know? And I wish I did because I, I know that if you do, you can become incredibly successful, but I, I really, I, I just like to make things, you know? And right. I, I don't want to just be thinking only about the algorithm. Is this going to work? Is this going to get tons of views? I just feel like that's a very cynical way to approach making content and it's not coming from the heart, you know? And honestly, I think that's what's led to so many people just putting out negative garbage, you know? Like, I don't know how people get out of bed every day and just look at the worst stories in across the, these different cool geeky things that that EP covers and find those and just concentrate on that every single day. How do we just you know rant about all the things that these companies or these people did wrong and just make that every day? I, that would just be exhausting, you know. Agreed, agreed. And I often yeah. have that similar thought about XEP. You know, like as far as curation and letting people find content versus the people that are knuckle dragging and just you know. You know, hurling insults at others. That's not this show and it will never be. Yeah. Yeah. By the same token, that's going to mean that views or listens take a hit. And that's just part part of it that I try to make my peace with. But you're right. I agree with a lot of what you said there. Uh, But Vic, I think it's time we talk about this week's news. We've got a lot, a lot of stuff happened this past week. Like, yes, a whole lot. It's February part two. That's how I'm thinking of this window of time. Well, what's crazy is that, you know, because I review this stuff too, right? And so that takes hours and hours of time, but the news doesn't stop, you know, like the amount of information that has been flooding the, uh, uh, the news wires and the news, you know, the news from different game companies and different content makers out there has just been insane. And it's all happening at the same time. It's very, very crazy time. Well, this past week, we had two different horror showcases, one by way of Silent Hill, one by way of Resident Evil. Uh, A lot of things announced in the Silent Hill uh, showcase and specifically relevant to the Xbox community uh, were a couple games and I suppose a movie announced in some ways. But the Silent Hill 2 remake is official, Victor. It's being uh, made with the help of some of the original teams from Team Silent. Uh, The artist is back. Composer is back. Uh, interestingly though, this is going to be exclusive to PlayStation five for a year. Timed exclusives are not new in this gaming industry. And Bloober team has done some exclusives for Xbox by way of, uh, Blair, Witch and the medium as well. But I think a lot of people taking issue given that exclusivity is a conversation happening. Thanks to the Activision blizzard deals, which by the way, I'm very ready for those to be done. Those conversations are boring at this point. I think if that is done. And I think that I'm, I'm just predicting here, but I think if that does close and of course there's the legal battle that's happening in Europe right now around this and everybody's playing their cards pretty close to their vest and there's a lot of uh, negotiating and, and uh, um, attempts to stall this. But if the Activision 
Blizzard deal does close. I think it will with uh, Microsoft. I think it's only a matter of time before Konami gets bought by PlayStation and they're going to come out with Metal Gear and they're going to go full hog on all of that stuff. I think there will be a big counter like that. And I, and I think this Silent Hill deal kind of speaks to that potential. I agree. I think Sony has a very good set of relationships with certain games and certain companies. Yep. And it just makes sense. And so while I understand that people were frustrated by this, I don't think it helps PlayStation's case as far as like, you know, market value or, uh, and, you know, the need for exclusives damaging consumer bases. I don't think it helps their cause in that. No, uh, no. I, I wasn't surprised to see Silent Hill 2 be exclusive for a year. I know a lot of fans are disappointed there because they've made the, the, the jump from one console manufacturer to another. But in this particular case, it feels like Silent Hill 2 is a good fit for the PlayStation community. Uh, admittedly though, I'm bummed, you know, I, I like being yeah. able to play more games. Do you not play on the PlayStation? Do you only play on Xbox? No, I do. I do play on my PlayStation, but I like to keep, uh, I often think about my a- achievements or my trophies as legacies, like uh, ways to remember sure. what I've played. And so sure. for that reason, I like to stick with one ecosystem, but no, I do have a PlayStation five. Uh, I'm, I-, I adore so many of their exclusives. They are just, incredible at top tier uh AAA titles and like I, I couldn't be more excited for god of war ragnarok and uh and whatnot i'm just the question now is uh as a multi-platform holder do i wait for a year for this to come to the the ecosystem i prefer or yeah do i jump in and play and that's the question i think a lot of gamers are going to be facing uh as this comes out yeah and it, it's a it's a much bigger decision now too isn't it i mean i i come from an era like i had all the platforms in the 80s and 90s you know like i would just get everything i never pre-ep and then of course i I covered everything so we always had everything and i've always thought that the best way previously was to just invest in the consoles and have them all and then you've got your pick of all the best options and choices Uh, but consoles are way more expensive now and um, the business of exclusives has gotten way more competitive and nasty in a lot of ways. But I do hope for an era where, and I've said this for a long time, and I know that there's a lot of loopholes and, and hoops to jump through, but I do hope for an era where a game comes out and it's really, it, it's platform agnostic, you know? Like mm-hmm. you can just have a machine. And I think that's one of the things that has helped held the video game industry back from full sort of mainstream acceptance over the years. This idea that you have to join a clubhouse and you have to make a pick on how you're going to consume the content is so reductive for the experience. You know, it's almost like having to choose. It's, it's almost like the movie studios making exclusive releases for theaters, you know, like it'll play on in this theater, but it won't play in that theater or Blu-rays, you know, Blu-ray players or 4k Blu-ray discs. And that just would have really affected the uh, awareness of these mass properties in the movie industry. And I think the same, I think that's exactly what's happened with games. It's all, it's all of this this fighting that that has happened. This this console war mentality that has really kept a lot of people out. You know, I know tons of people are in, and the video game industry makes a ton of money. But I don't know if console adoption has has uh, it's it hasn't it hasn't risen 
in the same leaps and bounds that people can just jump onto any computer and play Fortnite or, or download a mobile game that's free to play. And I think one of the things that's honestly held a lot of this back is this, this specific thing that we're talking about here, this idea that it's exclusive to this machine. So, and oops, too bad for you. You didn't buy that machine. So you can't play that. These gates are terrible. I, th- I think um, what's more likely going to happen, Vic, is we we see something where uh, similar to how movies will launch onto Peacock, but you can also go to the theater or movies will launch onto HBO Max, but you can also go see it in another place. I think yeah. we're going to see games launch into Game Pass or into PlayStation Plus or whatever their successor is, because I would imagine they're still cultivating a subscription service uh, mindset and looking to the future as they create games as a service. Yeah, I think we're going to see games do that where like it, you're going to launch into game pass like a plague tale requiem is a good example it's here in this service but you can also purchase it separately a la carte on other platforms i would bet that that's the way that gaming triple a releases happen in the future unless they're first party just because i think less and less are third party deals going to be lucrative yeah and i i think there is a great analogy there with the, the traditional tv network model and now it's the subscription uh, you know, provider model where they, if they pay for something, they pay for those exclusive rights, even if they're owned by a studio that has their own streaming service, you know, like a show made by Warner Brothers, but it's on Amazon or something like that. Right. It does get a little bit weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I think what happens in, in the homing, home space is that maybe there is, uh, you know, a, a 90 day window or something like that, but then you can pretty much buy any movie on Amazon and watch it on Amazon or Apple or, uh, but not, Net- not Netflix. Cause they're not into that sort of purchasing model right now. Um, it is complicated though. And it does sort of hold us all back from a lot of material. And what's interesting is to think about this in the context of this, this metaverse kind of discussion that's happening all the time, this kind of shared open border kind of philosophy that, that, uh, all seems like a lot of BS right now, but um, like, how does that work? You know, if we're setting up all of these different digital inhibitors from being able to access content, how the hell are we going to get into this, you know, cross pollination of all of this media and thoughts and ideas in the metaverse? Um, but I do know that video games, because of these console wars and, and these exclusive decisions, and I, I mean, it, it must be maddening for people that buy games for other people and don't play them to have to try to navigate through making the right decision, you know, like, did I buy the right piece of software for the right piece of hardware? And was this the best deal? And did it come with all the exclusives that the, this other person wants? And, um, you know, did I buy the right collector's edition? (laughs) You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's almost, it's too much choice and too many, too many obstacles to just get to the content. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm curious to know and and watch how cloud gaming affects that or impacts that. Does the plastic box falling away, which it's going to go away eventually, I'm sure, just as a Mm -hmm. much slower death than many might have predicted. But as that fades away and you can just log in, I'm curious to know how distribution changes uh, for AAA titles, because it seems like the indies don't have this conversation surrounding them in nearly the same way. I think yes. the most recent big indie that I can think of was like Death's Door that very quickly made its way to other platforms. The double A's right. like the medium very quickly find their way to to other titles. And so I'm curious to see if that changes anything. But but you're right. You're right. 
Uh, now we well, I mean, we we have a long way to go before we get there, though, and I think that uh, this this deal really illustrates that, and I I do believe that it's it's uh, it's the new console war, you know, it's it's the exclusives war. Um, but I what I do see from Microsoft is a willingness to rapidly progress to a new way of thinking, and a, you know, I think if Nintendo and Sony we're open to Game Pass on their platforms and, and there be some kind of revenue share with that, uh, Microsoft would be all over it. You know, They would love to have subscribers access Game Pass content on PlayStation. I, I think they would love to put Halo on PlayStation. You know, I think they, they would, but I think that there is a reticence, um, maybe a little more so on PlayStation's part, uh, to hold that off for as long as possible. And I don't know if that is ultimately going to serve the long-term health of the video game industry as we know it uh, well. I think it served the history of the video game industry well, but I don't know about the future because we are going to have a lot more streaming platforms and we are going to have a lot more um, uh, you know, subscription plans and services and our phones are not going to stop becoming more and more advanced and the software there is not going to stop becoming more and more compelling and competitive and uh we are never going to sell as many consoles we are never going to sell as many xboxes or nintendos or or playstations as people have cell phones in their pockets you know and uh, devices that will connect them to game content and i think the sooner that triple a game makers and publishers i don't know find ways to reach as many people as possible at at more affordable prices too because that's another long conversation but um i think they should do it you know I, and we're seeing movement towards that you know the game pass is definitely that but we're seeing sony also publish on pc now for the first time you know and it doesn't it doesn't take like a radical way of thinking to look down the road and think, oh, okay, well, maybe one day, you know, maybe somebody's got some kind of AR headset or something like that that allows them to sit down in front of any recreation of any machine and play it anywhere or, or whatever, you know, like it, this, this crossing the streams future doesn't seem so impossible now. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I'm fully, fully, uh, fully of that same mindset that the, the possibilities seem far more diverse than than console warriors or console makers even would have you believe at this point in time. So I'm, yeah. I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. I mean, how how depressing must it be for people that are just PlayStation diehards, just like all up and down, just love the, the brand and the choices and the first party stuff to see you can play Uncharted on PC right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's amazing. And and when you play Uncharted in 21.9, you know, in, in ultra widescreen, that's the way to play that freaking game. It's amazing. It's so cinematic that that's the way people should experience it. It, it was made to look like a movie and boy, does it play and look like even more of a movie when you play in an ultra widescreen at 120 frames per second. You know, it's, it's, um, it's crazy, and it must just piss off the Sony PlayStation console warriors uh, to no end, you know. But that's our reality. I think any any uh, any fan that is locking themselves out of a community strictly based on who makes the box 
is is really missing out on a lot of great experiences wherever yes. they may be. Agreed. And, yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. Well, we were talking about Silent Hill. Let me finish up talking about what they. Uh, had in their showcase because it wasn't just Silent Hill 2 Remake. They also announced two new games, uh, three new games, actually, yep. which is which is odd because it's hard to track these a little bit. You've got well, Silent we don't Hill- really know what they are yet either, right? Ascension and, and Silent Hill F. Right, yeah, Silent Hill F, which it looks like it's going to be uh, a 1960s set Silent Hill in Japan. Yep. Which Beautiful imagery. It, yeah, you have to think with the fog and the effects and some of the incredible art we've seen coming out in general surrounding this, it's like, okay, I can see something there that I'm excited for. You've got Silent Hill Ascension, uh, which looks to be another spin-off game, but it's it's a let's it's like a, a Pokemon version of it. I, I think it's a Netflix style interactive video thing. Isn't it a video streaming experience? I'm not sure. I, the, the official listing is an immersive project where pres- participants around the world will control characters in a new Silent Hill story. Uh, and mm. the writers of this likened it to Let's Play Pokemon version of Silent Hill story that's live on multiple platforms. Gotcha. Yeah, and so it I was like that that <laughs> that um, uh, that Dark Mirror episode where you could, uh, right. I forget what it was called, Balderdash or whatever. I can't remember what it was called. No, uh, or Bandersnatch right. or something. That's, where no, you that's could, it. Yeah, where you could control sequences of video and it's kind of choose your own adventure. That's, that's what I'm kind of getting out of that, but I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I like the mystery, though. I think, it's, I, you know, I really like Konami um, and it's been frustrating to see them misstep after misstep. I really wish that they had worked out a relationship with uh, um, with Hideo Kojima and uh, the Metal Gear franchise. Um but you know it's a company that's invested in a bunch of different directions so it's been nice to see them gravitate like the 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 uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga collection from them is just incredible you know and so and even the Getsu Fumaden game that they brought out earlier this year it wasn't incredible it wasn't the best video game ever but they went back deep into their catalog and they brought back something pretty cool so it's been really cool to see them not forget their roots because they are one of the treasures of this industry. They've got such an amazing catalog of, of cool video game experiences. So it's good to see them, you know, pivot back towards us, to us players. And hopefully we'll get some Metal Gear news soon. I agree because I think when Digital Eclipse put out the, the Calabunga collection and we saw Konami working uh, with the Castlevania collections and putting out things to try to, reintroduce themselves to gamers because it got bad for a bit it got real bad and i don't even think we're their target market like i i respect and understand that their business model is not aimed at the video game industry but it does feel like they're talking back to us now and the the other game is silent hill townfall that's coming from no no code studios they're being published by annapurna that's a pretty highly decorated publisher there yeah Uh, they're awesome yeah you have to think like they're really trying to reintroduce themselves in a way that um, I think gamers are pleased with. I felt like there was a lot of positive uh, discussion surrounding the Silent Hill showcase and what it means for Silent Hill to be coming back to a genre that is already flourishing. We've got Callisto Protocol and Dead Space uh, remake is coming. We just had multiple Resident Evil remakes. We'll talk about the Resident Evil showcase in just a second. Like this genre is exciting for people once again. I mean, shoot, even Alan Wake's getting a sequel. There's a lot of people that are interested in this 
horror third person survival horror style game once again in a way that it had kind of lapsed for a bit and so i think it's the right time for them to be capitalizing on it uh i am curious to know to know if you think perhaps this was supposed to be part of a playstation showcase that was a rumor going around and Mm. i'm so amateur and armchair uh in this sense that i don't want to i don't want to jump in and just say oh that sounds like it could be or it sounds like it wasn't but any any truth in that that you've heard I, I don't know, but I have read the stories that, you know, PlayStation has been holding off on their showcase because they don't want to look too strong in the courts right now as mm-hmm. they argue about the Microsoft deal, um, that they are a powerhouse in video games. And I think Microsoft can write, quite rightly say that nobody beats Sony in terms of their investments, especially for their exclusives and the things that they lock up, you know, like they spend the most and they have the most esteem, I think, for a lot of their first-party choices. Big time. Um, yeah, and I think that they uh, don't want to appear too powerful. So, it, it, you know, it's conceivable that Silent Hill 2, at least, was going to be part of a showcase. Um, and that still might come to be, uh, and we still might see that. Um, but I don't know. And in terms of the survival horror genre coming back in, in a big way, I think you can kind of... Uh, look at the success of Resident Evil 7 um, as a 2D experience on a flat screen TV and in VR. There was just such goodwill around that. It was such an incredible experience. And then the one-two punch of Resident Evil 2 coming out and the remake there and just kind of showing the world that the hardware that we get now and have since the previous generation, the hardware that we get to play games with now is powerful enough to make these horrific images look almost video quality or photo real and nothing is more scary than that because if you go back and play those classic games they just look like ass i mean it was so much about our imagination when when we were playing silent hill back in the day and uh you know the old resident evil games they were really well made and they were they were you know creepy with the sound effects and and the the concepts but the visuals were just brutal just a bunch of blocky squares cruising around mm-hmm. a screen and and uh not too scary especially in the rear view uh but the modern day machines can really render these things to just be absolutely terrifying so i i'm i'm excited to play all these games but i do have to be honest man like i i am kind of a wimp with uh horror movies and mm-hmm. like dead space the original one just scared the crap i got through it i loved it and I understand, I, I could see the beauty of it, but it's just like, Jesus, I didn't want to eat before I started playing these games because uh, like, they're just so brutal and so gruesome, you know, just guts and blood all over the damn place. So um, well, I can't wait to play of- these games, but I'm going to be scared out of my mind. I know it. And, well, that's kind of the thing with horror games. And especially if you've grown up with them from, you know, the PlayStation 2 era, uh, position yeah. one era they were blocky bits of nothingness and your our minds generated and created uh, something yes. with what we were given and in some cases it made it far more impactful uh, than what you have now and in other ways very much the opposite i mean when, when you look at the capcom showcase uh, and they showed the resident evil 8 expansion resident evil village was just incredible and now to get that to was play a in third person yeah uh, that's going to be like, I'm going to be upgrading to that one just because I want to experience that as a third person game. And you're right. Those visuals are intense. And if you are someone who is sensitive to that, then you're in for, you're in for something unique. And I think with the resident evil four remake, which 
I was I, I think that's one of the best games ever made in its time. It is. I don't think it yep. ages as well as we remember it, but I'm really excited for this remake because Resident Evil 4 did something special with Las Plagas and the enemy types there and the survival horror element. But there was a bit of absurdity that kind of let you escape because i mean yeah it was never not yeah it always reminded you it was a a a cheesy video game which i think was cool because there was a a a level of complexity and maturity with that design they recognized that people saw the cheesiness in the previous resident evil games Mm -hmm. and embraced it and i think they as a team embraced it when they made resident evil 4 but what they introduced was this action element you know this much more accessible modernized take on the controls and uh the motions that you could get into as as uh leon kennedy and it was just so fun to play you know that was the the other side of it because the survival horror genre and i remember i I was reviewing all those original games when you know we had a tv show going out every week and we'd play them and tommy and i would uh you know find the cool scary bits to enjoy and love about them but we also were pr- quite frank about the tank style controls and having to kind of turn your character in these weird ways to move forward. And I didn't, I, and I still don't have the love for the silent Hill franchise that a lot of people do. Um, and maybe it's cause I had my critics hat on at the time, but I was playing a game like that and, and juxtaposing the freedom and the fun of a Mario experience on the Nintendo 64 and uh, it just didn't correlate. But now games, obviously, and I think post Resident Evil 4, when that launched on the GameCube, um, kind of changed everything up. Suddenly we had, res- you know, survival horror experiences that had that 360 degree flexibility and, and nuanced controls and, and um, also scared the crap out of you, but also embraced the fact that the roots of these games came from kind of cheesy horror movies. Very much so. Very much so. And I'm curious to see, because it looks like the tone of Resident Evil 4 is going to be ditching a bit of that B-movie uh, yes. vibe from the yep. original Resident Evil 4. And Which is fine. I'm, it is fine. I'm excited by that, I think, because the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes were so good. Yep. But I'm curious to know if I will get uh, uncomfortably scared at any point, because <laughs> Resident Evil 7 was that for me. I got very scared. Oh, yeah. It was a, incredible game one of the best horror games ever made if not the absolutely and village was exceptionally fun but a bit more arcadey i guess you would say yes it when the ending was just so obnoxious and crazy <laughs> and fun but it, yeah resident evil 7 is a much scarier did you play that in vr man i did not i Vic, victor i have never put on a vr headset uh, yeah uh, and yeah i think that's the biggest challenge for vr i think most people don't do it and don't want to do it but uh I think these triple A name brand experiences like Star Wars Squadrons and um, uh, Iron Man, they're, they're incredibly important. But Resident Evil 7 in VR, and I know 8 is going to be a VR game too. Wow, transcendent, beautiful, and so terrifying. And it's almost not fair to play horror games in VR. You just feel like you're already cut off from the world and then you're in this new reality. And it's so. Like I, I was swearing at the top of my lungs playing that. I streamed it, and I was I nearly pissed my pants. I was so freaking scared playing that game, and uh, so I'm looking forward to playing eight in VR. I played four on the Oculus or the Meta Quest. I hate that the whatever the the Quest Two, 
Um, the Zuckerberg headset point. Yeah, five. and it was awesome. Like honestly, the best VR experience of last year. So to play the like the sort of rudimentary looking Resident Evil Four, but in VR was so fun. It was really really fun, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, uh, more scares that way, but it is a totally different level of of terrifying when you're playing a great game like that with a VR headset on. Yeah, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how, as this renaissance of horror titles from Callisto to Resident Evil and Silent Hill, how the VR movement kind of tracks with them. You know, I, I, yes. I don't mean like visual tracking. I mean, like, how does VR grow? next to the horror genre i'm curious to see if that uh impacts one impacts the other in any way shape or form for sure yeah super important part of uh of the vr experiences but i you know i think vr's got a lot more to prove you know i I think the pickup rate has just not been what everybody has been expecting and and uh, i think part of it is the investments need to be with and i've said this for years, but the investments need to be with things that are proven that people already have a familiarity with. There's enough discoverability problems just to get any, you know, unknown brand in video games anywhere, but especially in VR, you know? So I'm really happy that Iron Man is coming to the Oculus Quest 2 or the whatever, Quest 2, um, because that was a game that was on PlayStation VR, but it was tethered and it was a great game, but it was a very frustrating game to play with the outdated technology of of the PlayStation VR. So it's going to be cool to go back to that. I love squadrons in VR, but, you know, I know that VR wasn't the news of this week, and I'm sorry for co-opting and talking about it, but we're talking about Resident Evil. So there's VR involved with Resident Evil. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, when you look at uh, everything all said and done from the Capcom showcase, I thought it was a good one. I am stoked for the third person mode for Resident Evil Village. That's that's something I'm going to get to at some point. It won't be when it launches, which will be on uh, October 28th, I think. October 28th is when that one's coming in, but it's a $20 upgrade for anyone that doesn't have the gold edition. I'm in for that. It just won't be in for that this week, next week, or uh, any time until I'm done with God of War. Uh, but I'm excited for it, for sure. And then the Resident Evil 4 remake, that launches on March 24th, already uh, letting us huge. know that Febu- yeah, February, March are going to be big big time for games uh, in yep. 2023. I'm excited for t- both of these showcases. I was happy to know. I didn't get to watch either live, but in the end, I felt like they were positive and people seemed excited about it. And at that's just nice to have. <laughs> I'm going to be honest totally. with you. Totally. Know? Totally. And the uh, the Dead Space remake is looking great. And Callisto confirmed that they're going to have uh, a performance mode and hit that December 2nd launch. Uh, yeah. If you're into survival horror, you got a lot of really cool things to look forward to. Scorn, though. I don't know if you played Scorn. That really disappointed me. I, I haven't beaten it. I haven't gotten far into it. I put a few hours into it on a stream. And boy, is it just a cumbersome, clunky uh, you know, obtuse kind of a it, beautiful and gruesome and weird, but I didn't know what the hell was going on for big chunks of it, and I was I was getting very frustrated in that game. I think the biggest problem with a game like Scorn is that it's not easily marketed. You yeah. can't say it's a first person shooter despite having elements of it. It's not a first person puzzler because there's more there is some action element to it. It it's an experience. I think it'd be the best way to put it, but it, it's so hard to market to people. And I think that's why a service like game pass has done 
done gamers a great favor because they're able to try it without breaking totally. their wallet. Game Pass and, is amazing. No question. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So um, I do. I know you've got a hard out soon. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on Gotham Knights. And if we could just briefly uh, of chat course, about yeah. that. I have been playing Gotham Knights. This was my most anticipated game of the year. Uh, yep. I'm sitting in the Batman chair right now. I love uh, the Arkham series. It was such a, a big moment for me to, to know that Gotham Knights was arriving despite all the trepidations about it. I've been reading the reviews, watching the reviews. I agree with almost every review and I'm still having a blast. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in that position, Victor, where all I gave criticism- it an 8.5 brother. I love the yeah. game. I think, I think it's awesome. And, and uh, yeah, we, we reviewed it. Um, I reviewed it with a colleague, uh, Bear Safi. He also gave it an eight. Uh, and we just, we just have a, we've been having a great time. We played cooperative, but I played most of the game in solo player. And I think there, there's way more great things about this game than there are things that you can knock at it. And certainly that 30 frames per second is a pain in the ass and the dips. See, I didn't even know. It, I would not have noticed had people yeah. not said it. Had people yep. not said it, I wouldn't have even been bothered. I've not had a single hiccup in the first 10 to 15 hours, but yeah. I knew that other people are. But I've not. It, had well, I think what happens is that there, you know, I like everybody's entitled to their own opinions and their own experience with it, and I think everybody's valid with, to have the the complaints about the technical issues. Um, but I I definitely do think that the more passion you have for comics or these characters, that's who they made this for. You know, this isn't just a generic uh, action game co op sort of brawler you know like you you have to kind of come to gotham knights with a real respect and appreciation for the fact that you can beat the whole thing as batgirl or as as tim drake or as right. dick grayson or whatever you know i've been playing it's as nightwing i, I yeah. i'll tell you what vic i have found that i'm having an absolute blast but i had to i had to remind once i let the game not be arkham and there yeah. were moments like this was clearly an Arkham game at one point, but once I stopped trying to play it like Arkham and I played it the way it's meant to be played, I'm having an absolute blast, but I had yeah. to let go. And that was the hard part. Well, I think a lot of people are reading the negativity around it and a lot of people are absolutely negative about it. And there's th- lots of things that you can quibble about and complain about. The UI isn't great. And, and, uh, um, I think what, what was it skill up or something like that had a good comment about the idea that this might have been a, a more of a live service concept and then it pivoted after mm-hmm. Avengers didn't do so well. And I think there might be some truth to that. I think um, it was an Arkham game. I think it was a live service game. And then, it well, had... it's been in development for six years. And yeah. I think one of the things that is clear when you play the game is that even if it's messy, it's launched with so much beautiful detail and so many cool moments and such great pieces of, of lore and, and connection to the comic universe. There's tons to dig into. And there's also an incredible foundation for where this concept can go. You know, there, I, 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 I mean, I have had so much fun playing this game. I really, I, yeah, I've loved playing as Batgirl. I just think that they really honored this incredible character of Barbara Gordon so well in the game. Um, I love the optimism of Tim Drake as Robin. I like the disparity between the, the you know, the uh, attitudes of these different characters. And playing in co-op has been super, super freaking fun. 
you know, I I love the Arkham games. They're, that's my favorite franchise in video games. And uh, I, I was one of the only critics back in 2008 that said, when I looked at Arkham on the floor at E3, I said, that is our game of the year right there. That is going to be the best video game of, of, of our year. And I think there was a lot of skepticism about it. And I just saw the the pivot that Rocksteady had made with this with this genre, you know, and with Batman games in general, we just been had so many piss poor ones and they were about to rock the whole world. And I think what happened is people definitely picked up on that. And when City came out, there'd already been a couple of years of just like people finding Arkham and recognizing just how incredible it is. And I think it was instrumental in us changing our attitudes and perspectives around licensed IP in video games. And that, that's what led to Spider-Man, which is still one of the best PlayStation experiences I've ever had, and, and Miles Morales as well. And I think that uh, we are on this interesting path right now. Like Guardians of the Galaxy was excellent last year as well. But I think what's going to happen with, with Gotham Knights is it will be tweaked. It will be improved. Possibly the frame rate will get better. But I know for a fact that more and more people will find it and come to it and appreciate more about it than a lot of the negative reviews have suggested they would. And I, I, and I'm like days gone, um, like Arkham Knight origins or Arkham origins, uh, which is also an excellent game, not as good as the Rocksteady games, but an excellent game and an excellent Batman game. I suspect that that's going to happen. I might be wrong. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any, game crashing instances when I beat the game. Um, I noticed some dips every once in a while, but they didn't take me out of the experience of playing the game. The boss fights are really freaking cool. There was one that I didn't love, but all the other ones, all of the other boss encounters were just so much fun. And the ending is, I don't want to spoil anything, but the ending is terrific in the game. Um, and I, I want to go back and play it again as uh, I, I beat it as Batgirl. I want to go back and beat it as uh, Tim Drake's Robin, you know, and Nightwing is super cool, too. I'm not a Jason Todd fan, though. No, I, I have been playing as Nightwing. That's it's been a Nightwing game for me uh, thus far. Awesome. And I'm going to be going back and playing through uh, probably as Tim Drake on my second playthrough. Uh, just because but I can very much see this game and, and a lot of people wrote in I will have a full review on on my side of things guys uh, on next week's episode but I want more time to to really get into the nitty-gritty but cool. I very much feel like this game is uh, potentially a foundation I'd be willing to bet you get an expansion or more content soon right um, yeah I feel like that's going to happen I do feel like there's a performance thing that's going to be addressed at some point but I'll tell you tell any listener right now um, in a week where Gotham Knights and a Plague Tale are both launching at 30 frames. There's a lot of fun to be had in both. And yeah. limiting yourself because somebody said the frame rate was bad. Uh, hold out on that one because I, I don't think it has to be a certain frame rate to be enjoyable. And I'm having an absolute blast. I just had to make sure that I wasn't holding it to this to to be an Arkham game because it doesn't want to be an Arkham game the yeah. entire time. There are elements of it. I, I genuinely think, Vic, this was an Arkham game. I think it was an open world game like Avengers. Uh at one point and they've pivoted a couple times. And when I see games that survive tumultuous releases, Halo Infinite being a good, uh, a tumultuous development, Halo Infinite being a good example, I'm happy. I'm happy for the team involved. I'm happy for the people involved. Me and too. Uh, as a Batman fan, I'm having a blast. I'm having an absolute well, blast. I'm saving God. Yeah. And there's a, an element of bravery here too, right? It's like to kind of go to the, the B tier characters and try mm-hmm. to, 
make them the protagonists and and put all that marketing and effort around you know educating an audience base out there that's not going to have that same familiarity you know they they none of these characters have that same cachet as batman does and to put them on a platform for the first time i mean we haven't had a robin game we haven't had a nightwing game we haven't had a batgirl game they've they've been in other games for sure but to put these characters up there like that and to spend all of that money and effort and time and, and try to layer in all of those very cool, you know, comic details. It, it just feels incredible. You know, like I am the kid in me that has loved Batman and Robin forever. is just overjoyed that, you know, these characters are getting their due and they're getting their, their time to shine like this. And I, I think, more is coming and improvements and refinements are coming. But uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed playing Gotham Knights and it's really fun in co-op. I don't know if you've played any co-op yet, but it's really fun when you play with a friend. Not yet. It's been on my to-do list, but I often play games like this solo to do the story first. Yeah. Um, and and again, I'm holding out on my full review for, for you guys, but, uh, but I'm having fun. Uh, cool. I do want to quickly mention, Vic, also for anyone that's interested, the early access for the Modern Warfare campaign is out there. I have started it. It's an absolute blast. Uh, that code yeah. was provided by Activision, just for context there. Uh, I've been playing that. I've been playing Ghostbusters, which is incredible. Um, really having a good time with Ghostbusters. If you, have you played that one, Victor? It, I'm going to be playing it uh, tonight, and I'll be talking with CNN. I think tonight, and I'll be talking with CNN about that Ghostbusters game, but I'm very happy to hear that because I haven't. I have it. It's installed, but I haven't played it. I haven't played any of the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 yet, but it's installed. I've been playing God of War, um, which I, I, I did a first five hours video that you can see on my, my channel, and uh, uh, also Mario Plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope on the Switch, which I know isn't the purview of, of your podcast, but it's an incredible game. And I think, it, you know, not enough, not enough people are talking about how cool that game is. Uh, but yeah, what a time, man. We are inundated with so much fun entertainment right now. And it, it, coupled with that are all of these incredible shows, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, the Lord of the Rings show and Andor and House of the Dragon. And uh, oh, God, it's I wasn't I wasn't crazy about she. I, I didn't. I like the ending. I like the way that they they just went to 11 on the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but they I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't the best out of the Marvel stuff for me. See, uh, I didn't hate it. But it was I okay. absolutely hated Miss Marvel. So I'm actually really I love Miss Marvel. See, I think that's I think that's a lot of people is it's one or the other because their tone and scope are so different. Yeah. Um, so I, I really could not enjoy Miss Marvel and I tried to. And like it's very much like video games. Uh, and we had a question written in about somebody asking about, you know, is there a game out there that people said was bad that you loved and vice versa? I feel like mm. with shows as well, like I can recognize that Miss Marvel was made with extreme talent and quality. Like the writing was top tier. Acting was great. Visuals were good. But it didn't connect with me in the slightest. I didn't enjoy right. it. But I right. can still respect all of those things. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, it was flipped because I don't think the animation in She-Hulk is nearly as good. The CGI is not up to the same quality, but I yeah. think I enjoyed it more. Have you ever had I mean, those experiences do happen, I think, quite often for people? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, there's been lots of like, uh, I, I I don't know what you call them. Um, guilty pleasure type experiences sure. um, with games for sure over the years. I'm a big sucker for comic book video games, you know, like I, I was just thinking today about how amazing that Captain America first Avenger game was for uh, Xbox 360. 
and how disappointing it is that we don't get the access to a lot of this content because of the licensing or whatever, you know, like that's a game that should be playable on Xbox Series X and it should be incredible. It should be as, as like that game was so freaking good that I know that Chris Evans was inspired by the animation that Next Level put into it with their cap. Uh, and they used he used that as influence for where they went with Winter Soldier because he was playing the game. He's voicing the game too, right? I didn't um, realize that. I have that. It's sitting on my shelf. I have an Xbox 360 and a shelf full of games that don't work on Xbox One. That's the only reason I have a 360. And I went, like I had sold mine. I went back and bought one. And on my shelf is Captain America, Star Trek Legacy, the 007 games. Uh, you know, like Avatar, like just the stuff that I don't, franchise stuff that doesn't make it yeah. through Beckham Pat, you know? Which sucks, man, because, you know, like we talked a lot about licensed stuff here with Gotham Knights and uh, the Arkham stuff. And, you know, I did a whole series on our channel called the Side-Scrolling Superheroes, which was all about my, because Marvel's Spider-Man was just so inspirational for me, the uh, PlayStation exclusive, and I just freaking loved it. And I, I wanted to dive back in because I'd had a nice collection of 16-bit stuff. But by the time... Uh, and companies were even sending us that stuff when we had started back in the uh, in middle 90s. And, but we were all focused on PlayStation and where Nintendo 64 was going to go. The show was and we were as as uh, people working in the content. And so I, I got these games in and I, you know, I, some of them were the side scrolling superhero kind of titles, but I'd never really dove into them. But then I played Spider-Man on PlayStation 4 and was just like, oh my God, there's just so much to mine here. And so I built a whole a whole um, bunch of video content re-reviewing these classic games, these classic superhero games, and uh, played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, uh, at Turtles in Time on the Super Nintendo for the first time mm. and, and reviewed it and was blown away by it. And then an amazing thing happens like the Cowabunga collection comes out. But I really see that so much of these licensed titles, so many of them, and yeah, there were lots of craps licensed games over the years, but there were so many cool ones, and they're so important for people's connection to these eras. You know, where the people found an Xbox 360 to play the to completely, or actually the original Xbox to play the um, uh, completely underappreciated Star Wars Episode Three game that the uh, collective made. Um, it was, was almost like a scrolling Star Wars experience, like a, a final fight with Obi-Wan and Anakin. And that, that was such a great game, you know, and, and that is uh, happily backwards compatible on the Xbox Series X. But a lot of these types of games are lost to time and it's so unfortunate. And so I hope that uh, the Cowabunga collection um, and this preponderance of new superhero experiences leads to collections like we just got with the Cowabunga collection and that will hopefully one day include things like the Deadpool game and the uh, Wolverine game that that uh, Ravensoft did which was amazing um, and Captain America and even um, there was an Xbox 360 Incredible Hulk game that was actually okay it wasn't as good as the uh, Radical Hulk experience was uh, but there's a lot of these great licensed titles that you know people people have forgotten about or never experienced and don't have the hardware to even play it now, you know, which right. I hope changes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, Victor, we've had a good hour together. I feel like we could keep going on, uh, but I do <laughs> want to let you get out so you can go stream, of course. 
would you be so kind as to share with the people where they can find your content uh, and plug your socials? Oh, oh, yeah, I totally will. And thank you so much for having me on, man. This was a really, really fun conversation. I'm sorry if I talked your ear off. I think you can tell that I... Uh, I what, do you I am, talk for a living? <laughs> I'm I'm quite passionate about this stuff, and I... Uh, I it's a it's a great privilege to be able to do a, a, you know do this type of thing and communicate around it. But uh, you you can watch our material at youtube.com slash EPN TV. That's sort of the hub of most of the electric playground stuff. Uh, but I stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash EPN. Um, you can find us on TikTok, tiktok.com slash at the electric playground. Um, I'm Batwing on Instagram. I'm Victor underscore Lucas on Twitter. Um, and I'm busy. <laughs> I'm always playing and always chatting about all this stuff. And it's a lot of fun. And of course, you guys can find me on Twitter at Insipid Ghost. You can find the show uh, on all your podcast platforms of choice. Uh, of course, over on YouTube as well. If you missed it, episode 149, Mike Chapman from uh, Creative Director of, over at Rare for Sea of Thieves. We had Layers of awesome. Fierce Creative Directors last episode for 150. Uh, feel free to check that one out, guys. Victor, once again, thank you for joining me for episode 151, man. Uh, thank you, Luke. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I can't wait to come back and do this again. <laughs>